So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Archie Hughes, and as always, I'm joined by my brothers, Toby and Leo. We have a packed show for you guys today, full recap of the weekend's action across Super Rugby, the Six Nations and the Super W. And we'll sit down and have a bit of a chat to John and Lance later on as well. But first, what was your guys' favourite moment of this round? Mate, it was definitely the, the Rebels big winner for, over the Brumbies. We thought that possibly they could stumble at this juncture and, you know, it was a big game on Friday night and they just, they seemed to mark their arrival to Super Rugby, you know, compared to the way they were playing last year, it's just such a dramatic change and, I'm, you know, that for me that was kind of the moment of the round, apart from some of those good New Zealand games. What about you, Leo? Yeah, the Australian games did, did pick up uh, this weekend and, and I was really impressed with the Reds, had a couple of huge scrums. Uh, to push the Bulls around, which is always good to push the South Africans over in the scrum. But just the second half for the Reds, when they when they became a bit more fluid and relaxed and, and things started going their way, they had a really great attacking series and they had a, a ripper of a try when they when they decided to have a run back with the ball. Dal, Dal, is it Dalganu? Yeah, Dalganu. No idea. Dalganu. That's why that was. When Dalganu caught the ball and instead of trying to chip it back, he looked up, assessed, assessed the space and, and went... Uh, streaking through a gap, and I think Toa finished that one. But that was a, a really exciting bit of play from the Reds, and something that I think just proves their potential if they can string it all together for 80 minutes. Yeah, and for me, I think it was yeah that Rebels win, especially that one try. I think really showed that they'd arrived. Uh, it was around uh, half an hour into the game. You know, they've got a charge down on a box kick from uh, the Brumbies, but then I counted. 12 of the 15 players from the team touched that in the next sort of four phases, um, going about 50 metres, swinging it from sideline to sideline before Genia throws that crash ball to Hodge on the left-hand side for a try. But today we're going to do something a little bit different before we get into the games. Um, I've got a little bit of a game for Toby and Leo. The name game. I'm ready. Let's do it. That's right, the name game. And I've set up a few few players that I've gone through and I'm going to give you guys a name. You have three things that I'd like to know. One is how old this person is right now. What year did they debut in Super Rugby and for what team? Alright, we'll start off with a few current players but then I'll get a little bit trickier for you. So, first off, Christian Lealofano. Oh, that's a tough one. Right, uh, Christian Lealofano is... I believe he's 29 years old. He would have debuted in 2008. And what was the other one? And the team, team he debuted for. I debuted for the Brumbies. Yeah, I was going to say 29 and Brumbies, um, but I couldn't have told you the year. Let's go 2009. It was 2008, the Brumbies, but he is actually 30 as of now. So that's oh, a nice man. easy one to start off with. Second one, let's get a little bit harder. Alright, I'm going to give Leo first go at this. 
Adam Coleman. Adam Coleman. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Adam Coleman is. You say he's 26, and I believe he debuted with Adam Coleman. He came. Did he come across from? Come on, mate. Is uh, let's say he's a Western Australian with the Force, and debuted in 2012. Toby, any alterations on that, mate? Well, he's Tasmanian, but he yes, he did debut with the Force. I'm going to say he's 24, and I think his debut would have been in 2013. Ooh, okay, so Leo's got the age right. He is 26. He did debut in 2013, though, Toby. But you're both wrong with the team. He actually had one cap for the Waratahs off the bench before joining the force in 2014. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, this is this is the problem. Another lock that the Waratahs let go after I'm watching Sam Lousy tear it up for the Hurricanes on the weekend. <laughs> Just add another one to the list. Seriously, like, what's going on with their recruitment? They can't seem to keep these good good players when they're starting their careers. Ridiculous. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. All right. Uh, <sighs> let's go another bit of a young gun. Tom Banks. Toby, I know you like him. Tom Banks. Debuted with the Brumbies in 20... Would have been 2016, and he's... 22. Leo, any other guesses you want to make? I think he, I think he's probably right. He's he's pretty young. I'll go I'll go 23 just to try and split it. Correct, uh, Leo. 23, but he actually also had an appearance for the Reds in 2015. Oh, I was just thinking that. Okay, uh, that's a big loss for the Reds. Would have been Chris Latham 2.0. There you go. <laughs> they missed out on that one. All right, let's go. Friend of the podcast, John O'Lance. Leo, what do you reckon? Age, debut, and debut team. John O'Lance is 27 and debuted with the Queensland Reds and kicked off in 2000 and, say, 2011. No, 2000. Oh, hang on, 2010. Ah, you got you got all three right, all three right. I'm not even going to get yeah, yeah. 2011 say... Reds, 27. I was surprised yeah. you was that. No, because we did um before before we uh were... when we were doing a bit of research and we were ch- uh, checking out where he where he'd been and I saw his age 27 and I was I was surprised. It does feel like he's been around for a bit longer than that, considering he's a dual Super Rugby champion. Yeah, he's done a lot with the few years he's he's put in, which is great. Yeah, that's right. This is seventh year. All right, Toby. This will be second last one. Nick Phipps. Phippsy. Um, hmm. This is a tough one, actually. Um, he debuted. He debuted with the Rebels in 2012, and he is currently 26 years old. Oh, he's older than that, isn't he? Leo, what do you think? I was going to say. Yeah, I think he might be Going to say twenty-eight. He is actually he twenty-nine, and it was yeah. Rebels. But two thousand and eleven, he actually started. Played Ooh. two years for the Rebels okay. before he came over to the Waratahs. We're close, not quite now, no, except yeah, for Leo's one. And one more, the last one. It's be a bit more difficult. Uh, Matt Hodgson is oh. retired now. 
So hang on, this but, is this is age now, not age at retirement. Age now, age now. But he, age he's now. still been linked with the Western Force team that's kicking off in the um, rugby championship. Matt Hodgson is a warrior, and I reckon he's going to be older than I think he is. But I'm going to say, is he 30, 36? Debuted, oh, probably was, wasn't with the Force, but it's going to be back in... Back in 2004 with the Waratahs. Ooh, what do you think, Toby? Yeah, I think Tars. I think he's 34 years old, and I think he debuted in 06. Ooh, you, again, you're splitting the points here. He is 36. He did yes. debut in... Well, it's a bit... Con, he was with the Waratahs in 2003, but he never actually got on the field. So then he signed for the force in 2006. Okay. So he never actually got a cap for the Tars, but he was under contract for them. Yeah, right. So there you go. All right, let's let's get on to the let's get on to a bit of a recap of the rounds. Match reports, round four. So we're starting with the Australian teams, as always, and what a game! Friday night at Amy Park, the Rebels take on the Brumbies, and they come home. Bonus point winners for the third time in a row, thirty-three to ten. That's a massive win. That's really proving proving the point you've been trying to sell to us all all preseason and early in this season, Arch. That the Rebels are contenders and ready to be at the top of the Australian Conference. They're here to and play. They're comfortably there now. Comfortably there now. Are they 10, 10 points clear with that that many bonus points and and they're three leading wins? they're leading the whole of Super Rugby. They got fifteen points. Three bonus point win. They are the only undefeated team left in rugby. Well, that's that not pretty true. impressive. It's not true. Who else? The Highlanders are undefeated. Oh, okay, because they've only played two games. Okay, fair enough. Correct. <laughs> no, really good game though, and they were smart, and and they did phases. They there were errors, but they they really did everything they could to control the ball and just maintain some rhythm. And yeah, the Brumbies, for all their line-out prowess and their good scrums. Discipline became the, the enemy of the Brumbies in this game. Yeah, if you actually looked at the stats as well, the Brumbies looked like they should have won that game. Um, and it just shows, I guess, the the way the Rebels can play if they have to, to grind out a win. Even though there's, there were plenty of points in this game, they still changed the way they played it a little bit. But I just get the feeling that perhaps they're going to adopt you know, certain styles depending on the teams they're playing. They're not going to be one-dimensional. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what they do against the Waratahs next week. One of the big stats for me was was just before half time the advantage line gains. The Rebels were ninety percent success rate at crossing the advantage line to fifty six of the Brumbies. Now that's I think that's a sign of the the Brumbies not being able to penetrate that Rebels defence and and the the quick rush up that they were putting on them. But 90% advantage line against a team like the Brumbies, which would historically been a good defensive team. Uh, and they're just they're just that dynamic group of forwards, so much power and speed. And then, again, picking their opportunities to swing it wide and finding space for their backs too. They're just very clinical. Yeah, and, I mean, they didn't have Adam Coleman in this game. He was out with a sternum injury, but he'll be back next week. But you saw Lepetti Tamani step up a bit. We were talking about him last week. But he definitely took a step forward in terms of his ball-carrying work and his aggression and putting on some big hits in defence as well. And he really picked up picked up his pace and really started matching sort of, well, probably who was the 
best forward in the, the Australian team for the round. Amanaki Mafia again had a huge game as well. I think it just shows you that Lepetti Tamani is adaptable depending on who's who's in the team, who's there carrying the ball because he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to do it when Coleman's there as much, but he's still very capable. Um, I think just generally, yeah, he stepped up his his play both defensively and offensively in this game, and that. You know, it, it gives Dave Vessels a bit of a headache with that back row combination. You've got Richard Hardwick kind of coming off the bench. You've got Colby Fanger there. It does, you know, do they keep Angus Cottrell at seven or do they do they mix it up a bit there? So they've got plenty of options, which I think a lot of the other Australian super rugby teams in terms of depth would love to have. Even beyond that, they've got they've got two second rowers that played out the entire game in Haylett Petty and Matt Phillip who looked strong all game. They were out on their feet making tackles, still hitting those one-on-one tackles, and you get to bring Adam Coleman back into that, and then you're going to try and put one of them on the bench with all those back rowers. Could see a very forward-heavy split Yeah, and you got, you got Jeff here. Parling. you got Jeff Parling just waiting in the wings as well. Yeah, I think he's going to keep waiting. Yeah, I've, I don't know what he's going to do. I'd like to see Colby Fanger come back onto the starting team, I think. You saw he came on and had an immediate effect making a pilfer and getting a penalty, and that's probably the only skill set that they don't quite have within that group of forwards at the moment, though Ulysses is one that can do that as well. Let's talk about the Brumbies a bit. I think CO coming back did help the Brumbies set piece, particularly the scrum. Um, I think Alan Alatoa had a much better game. And, and yeah, to be honest, the Brumbies forwards, they do have, you know, they're, they're well regarded in a lot of aspects of, of the set piece and obviously around the field. So, Well, the first 20 minutes, the Brumbies were all over them and they were putting a huge amount of pressure. And I think they got a little bit down from getting really very little to show from playing 14 men. They got five points out of it at the end, but they were all over it. The Rebels hardly had to touch the ball and they just didn't get anything from that. And I think that really put them a bit on the back foot for the rest of the game. And that, that early effort up front might have worn their forwards out a little bit too because they did try and push wide more in the second half. The forwards weren't getting as much penetration, still that low sort of gain line statistic. And then the more phases they had, the more they looked like they were into a rhythm, but then they started sort of losing some direction. They, they didn't hold their structure, so the ball moving out through the, through the back line sort of started hitting the ground and people were overrunning the passes or passes were going into thin air, so... Yeah, just that, that meant maybe some of that mental strength when you are up against it and probably not necessarily expecting it, maybe a little bit of complacency thinking they can do the Rebels in this one. But yeah, they, they definitely have something to work on there and, and hopefully they can pull it back. There's two things that I think are a problem for the Brumbies at the moment and they're both, I think, to do with their setup in the back line. I don't think that Leliafano is hitting the ball flat enough to create any sort of go forward for that whole line. I've noticed a big change when Huera was on, especially him and Lucas were on at scrum half as well. They just seem to be going a little bit more forward and making those game lines. The other thing I think they're lacking a little bit in that back line is another kicking option. You look at the Rebels and they have, look, they have Genia, they have Debrusini, they have Hodge, they have Maddox who can kick, they have Haley Petty who can kick. And then you go to the Brumbies and you have Powell, not a noted sort of really good tactical kicker. And then you have Loliofano and then maybe Banks can kick. And that's, that's not... It's, it's, it's because as well, yeah, Godwin. Godwin can't actually fill that void. And that's 
why I'm thinking a little bit. I don't know if you're thinking this way too, Arch, that Huero should probably play at 10 and maybe you put Lili Fano in at 12 and give them a week to see how that goes. Would you keep TK in there at 13? Because I think he's starting to look a bit, I don't know, just... Uh, I don't think there's so anyone unenthusiastic. better. Uh, I would have uh, Godwin out at 13. No. I'm, I'm not particularly... I think Godwin, although... Look, he straightens he's it up. had strong carries. He does straighten up the attack, but he doesn't offer a lot. And and I, I actually think that he has probably played better than than the last couple of seasons at the moment. But I just don't. I don't see. I see him a little bit kind of stunting the attack there at twelve. Not necessarily helping that creativity. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about Tavita. I, I just think he's a. He's going to either catch and and just slip slip a little bit wide, not straighten it up every time, or just handle it handle it onto the wing to to someone like Spade. Yeah. I'm just not I'm not inspired by I think, the play anymore. I think you'll see TK come good. Spark. I think you'll see him come good. To be honest, he might take a, a couple more games, but he's going to warm into the season. He's got that class. He's generally excellent defensively, and he's a genuine try scorer. So I don't think there's anyone else there that could come in and kind of outplay him in that 13 position. You guys are right, though. It does it does really contrast when you put the Brumbies line against the Rebels line, just how much ver- like how much variety in attack and kicking options and, you know, you've got all that yeah. depth in the Rebels and it just feels a little bit, little bit one-dimensional and maybe less adaptive out of the Brumbies. I think the Brumbies forward pack is obviously their strength at the moment. They probably have... Uh, concentrate on that a little bit um, sad to see Josh Man Ray in this game torn hamstring he'll be out for six weeks but uh, good opportunity for Falau thing uh, the other young hooker who's going to get a few weeks and he looked quite good coming on off the bench next we'll move on to the Saturday night game uh, the Reds took on the Bulls and the Reds stringing two wins together for the first time since 2014 I believe um, they came out winners 20 to the Bulls, 14. So the Reds in this game, they they definitely looked dominant, um, particularly up front. And, you know, people were kind of touting the Bulls to to be pretty weak this year, but we've seen over the last couple of weeks that they can surprise you if you're not on your game. The Reds looked up for this game. They were were strong, they were physical. Someone like Taniela Tupo just had such an impact on the game. But I think he needs to be a little bit careful in terms of overplaying his hand a little bit and, and kind of forcing passes and um, just keeping that control in his game because we know how impactful he can be. Um, but I think he's just got to keep his discipline and his composure. It was interesting to see the way the, the Bulls targeted certain groups in the Reds. Like They, they definitely put the bomb up for Nabuli over and over in that, in that first half and they didn't get anything out of it. And... If you'd asked me if that was going to be effective before the game, I said, yeah, Nabuli's probably suspect to drop the odd ball, so not a bad choice if you're going to if you're going to put it up to the same person and and really heap some pressure on. But he stood up, which was which was great because I don't think he's played particularly well early in the season, so that's you know heartening to see that. And they they also they really tried to muscle the forwards, and they they didn't get that in the scrum. the The Reds' lineout was really solid. And there weren't that many errors in this game, even with all the... Maybe the, mo- the biggest error was probably offside, and that's probably just eagerness out of the Bulls to try and s- swamp the Reds' attack before they can swing it wide. So not that many errors and, and pretty enjoyable from both sides. 
Yeah, so I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, it was great to see Kane Douglas look like he's making a bit of a return to uh, previous form. He was really good doing a lot of work up front and also in the line-out. In their backs, though, I still think they lack a little bit of structure. And I mean, if, if their defence is good enough not to let a team score for 55 minutes or so like they did in this game, that's all right. They can just wait for their chances. But they still look a little bit of hapless and without shape when they get that quick turnover ball and they'll throw it out one or two passes and they won't really know what to do and then it was sort of all stunts. It does get a bit speculative. Um, there was a few passes, a bit like we've seen in the previous game, that went to ground and, and they created pressure for themselves. They were losing possession in sort of the wrong the wrong end of the field if you're going to chance your hand. But then how good was it to see them actually have a, have a crack back at the kick return against the Bulls and... Dagonel sized it up so well, and 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 he had all the support from the fo- from forwards and backs to finish off. No, I was really impressed with um, him off the on debut on the wing. There, he had a few good runs and a few good offloads. I think he's a good prospect going forward if they're looking to keep um, far away to Satia in the centres with Kurabi a bit closer in. And someone that that stood up a little bit and and is kind of stringing some games together was James Tuttle, and probably a lot of people don't talk about him in the same conversation, even perhaps as Jake Gordon and, and Will Genia. But he really is kind of making, slowly making his mark on this team. And he controls the play well. You know, he can kick for goal. Um, he's very good round the field getting to rucks and, and getting that quick ball going. So I think he's calling he for forwards up. as well. Call, like calling yeah, his no, men he... into attack. He was really, really determined to call them into position and, and use them. Maybe he's learned a bit of that from Morgania, spending a bit of time with him in the past. But I, I was impressed by him and, and also John O'Lance just, you know, being consistent, not overplaying his hand and, and just strong in defence again. Mm, I was really thought John O'Lance's kicking was really good in this game. He really did well just to keep the balls turned around, keep them down in that sort of in their own half. And that really helped the Reds sort of just keep applying that pressure to stop them getting anywhere near scoring. Did you guys think, did you guys notice the again we had more knock-ons where it was suspect to be a knockdown pass but we weren't getting the consistency in the calls? Yeah, look, I, I think I think we've seen again they they they're being more they're showing more restraint with those yellow cards. But it does seem a little bit in your face to be able to call someone for a penalty. I think the Reds got called for a penalty for a deliberate knockdown early in the game, very early on. And then two bulls knock-ons in the tackle, whereas the the Reds' original knockdown was in a tackle as well. Uh, the consistency I'm having still isn't there. Seeing a difference, yeah. And I, I don't. I'm it's not like, saying people should be getting carded, but certainly if if you're going to see a, a loose hand in a tackle or not, knocking the ball down and killing an attacking opportunity, it's it's either a penalty all the time or it's not. Because you, I think, you know the guys aren't keeping their heads up and seeing what they're doing. It's accidental. If it's in the motion of tackling, I don't think it should ever really be a yellow card. This rule's designed to, to stop defensive players in, interfering with passes that aren't true intercepts. And they're just killing, killing the play of the offensive team. So to be honest, the referees are, I think, getting this right more often than not. You know, this round particularly, I don't think the initial rounds set a good example for how the, the game should be refereed at all. Yeah, I just don't want to see them resorting to knock-ons that lead to scrums when they've previously established in the same game 
a penalty for the same offence. That it sort of felt a little bit one-sided. The the Reds didn't get the rub of it early on. Look, looking at the Arch, looking at the Bulls, they've got two more games on tour. They're facing the Chiefs, coming off a bye, I think, next week, and then they got the Satyrs. So I think the Bulls are gonna they're gonna struggle. They still need more time developing their combinations, and yeah, just a very young squad. There's two really tough games coming up for them. Yeah, I think very similar to what the Stormers had. They're going to be very keen to finish up the tour and get back to South Africa. Hey, when are you guys going to tell me what happened in that Waratahs game? Because I haven't seen it. Uh, You're probably lucky that you didn't have to see that, Leo. Uh, So that's right. Um, All the way from Buenos Aires on um, Sunday morning. Normally I love to have a bit of rugby while I'm waking up to have breakfast, but... Not so much in this game. The Haguaris bounced back and it felt like it wasn't even as close as the score was. So 38 points to the Hags and 28 points to the Waratahs. They tried to come back at the end, but couldn't quite do it. Well, mate, I knew when I turned it on and 17 seconds in, they scored a try, the Haguaris, and straight off the kickoff. And I thought, oh, here we go again. They, the Waratahs just didn't seem to be switched on um, at all in that first half. And... They were down 26-0. They did fight back a little bit, but it just wasn't enough. And, and to start like that, if, if they do that against you know, a really formed team, they're just not going to have a chance in any sort of game. So, There were a couple positives I saw in this game. The Curtis Ronan try just after half-time. That was some really good sort of back-and-forth interplay and offloads between everyone. That made me a bit more excited. And the other thing was probably seeing Tolu Latu back on the field in a Waratahs jersey. I was really excited to have him back, and I think he's going to bring a, another dimension to our front row in the scrum, especially, and just in the loose play that's really going to help the Waratahs pack sort of moving forward. Yeah, Tolu is... If I'm not sure what they'll do next week, but Tolu, I think, apparently hasn't been training too well and his attitude's been a little bit off. But we need him there, and we need him to, to be starting. So... Tolu to come back, hopefully Kepu as well, because those forwards, they're still getting, yeah, just abused in that set piece. Yeah, it's, I'm not, I, I am actually struggling to see a lot of good things out of this game because they come back to Australia and they have to face the Rebels. Like, how it can't get much worse than that. At least they're at home, I guess. Yeah, so coming back to Australia will definitely help, but I think you're right. They have to pretty much forget this game and move forward. Um, there's not a huge amount they want to take away. I think they want to focus on how they were performing versus the Stormers versus the Sharks and then look to try and bring some of that intensity back for what's probably going to be the toughest game so far versus the Rebels. Yeah, definitely. The only guy that kind of impressed me in this game was Jake Gordon. He, he provided that clean service to the backs as well as he could with perhaps the forwards not setting such a strong platform. And, there's, and then also around the field defensively, making some cover tackles and, and he just seemed like... Like he was really doing as much as he could with a team that perhaps wasn't quite on their game. So I was impressed with him and he played the whole game, I believe. I don't think the replacement that they brought over the scrum half got on at all. So Yeah, so that was good to see him um, still having a strong game. There was actually a bit of cloud of um, whether he was going to get to play this game after a concussion earlier in the week and they flew over a replacement. Interestingly, it wasn't Nick Phipps who still isn't quite recovered from that ankle injury and is still going to be a question mark for this week's game versus the Rebels. Moving forward, looking around at some of the other games, uh, the Highlanders versus Stormers over at Forsyth Bar. 
on Friday afternoon and still a pretty good looking game, especially the first half here. But Highlanders, yeah, they make it two wins from two games, one winning 33 to 15 over the Stormers. Yeah, the skills shown by the Highlanders just so good for 60 minutes. Like they, until that massive breakout, 30 metres left to right, and just putting it on a platter for Naholo, that's just phenomenal stuff. And, and both nines, I thought, were very good in this game. Lots of little sneaky pop passes, keeping the defence uh, guessing on where the next run was going to come from. Uh, and the Stormers forwards just looked like they got tired in the last 20, got a bit static and, and really weren't getting any go forward. So that New Zealand mentality to just attack, attack, attack is really doing these touring teams in. I was really excited to see the Stormers fly half the young Damien Billemser come back for this game, and he was great for a 19-year-old leading this Stormers team around. Uh, he was definitely leading from the front. He had good kicks. He had something like 100 run metres or 15 runs or something from fly half as well. He definitely wasn't worried about taking on the line. I think the Stormers definitely yeah, had speed as well. Yeah, he's, and that quick pick up and run sort of 80 metres for a try as well. You know, look, I think the Stormers, the Stormers in this game, still strong defense in, in a lot of ways, but I feel like the Highlanders could have put on more points. They just look so dangerous. Their backline particularly is is just firing at the moment. The center's there with, um, who's in the centers? Rob Thompson and I can't say his name, Tarangi. Tarangi. Tarangi Walden. Yeah, they're underrated. Yeah, oh, underrated. Really and yeah, the, the Highlanders seem to kind of, have these guys that they don't particularly have big names, you know, apart from guys like Ben Smith and Waseki Naholo. You got these other guys that are just, you know, they step up every game. They don't go missing. Even a guy off the bench, Matt Faddis, who I'm consistently impressed with when he comes on. The Highlanders, I think, will be strong and, and hard to beat next week against the Crusaders. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of the Crusaders, that was the other New Zealand derby on Saturday. Uh, they had to take on the Hurricanes, and looks like without Richie Moanga at fly half, the Hurricanes really just blew them out and won twenty nine to nineteen. But it felt like the Canes were all over them this whole game. Yeah, the the Canes, mate. This is what I was expecting from them, and this is what I wanted to see for for the last couple of games. They hadn't shown it, but Geordie just doing amazing things all over the field. Bowden a little bit more composed in this game, um, better tactical kicking. But yeah, you just see how dangerous they are. Like they have guys like is it Pat Lamb on the wing, who just seems to have come out of nowhere from the ITM Cup. He's keeping yeah, he's keeping Vince Arso on the bench. Pat Lamb, like that's just <laughs> you can see how much depth they've gone in those outside backs. And Sevilla looks like he's on song again. TJ Perinara as good as ever. And look, mate, they're just dangerous everywhere. You can't really take your eye off anyone in that back line. And then up front. They're, they're solid as well. And the Crusaders put it to them a little bit in the second half and came back. And I think that's why they kept it close. But mate, the Hurricanes, I'm still confident they can win the competition if they play like that. Yeah, Pat Lamb's actually come across from the New Zealand Sevens team and he's now sort of committed to trying getting breaking into the 15s game. So he's been a, a name in the New Zealand Sevens for a little while. But you're right, they just have incredible depth. Crusaders also were a bit unfortunate. They lost uh, Sam Whitelock and Ryan Crotty very early on, uh, both to concussions, and they were were ruled out to not coming back. So that, that definitely stunts your team when you lose your veteran in the back line and your captain for the forward pack. 
and bearing that in mind, they did actually keep it close and, and play relatively well in that second half. But yeah, you can see how much it does kind of stunt their attack without without Moanga there. Moving on, uh, the game out of South Africa, the Sharks and the Sunwolves were travelling over. And look, it was a bit of a romp by the Sharks. They won 50-22, to but Sunwolves still showed they could put on some points on the board and score some good-looking tries, actually. Yeah, Sharks... I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't expecting much of a different result from this. 50 points by the Sharks. You just feel like the Sunwolves, they, to me, they look like a different team this week. They, they, just, they had a, a whole lot of new players out there because of their injuries, and it's going to be hard for them to kind of string games together when, when they have so, so many changes to their, to their back line and their forward pack, to be honest. So I, I, don't, I don't give them much of a chance of, of taking any games on this tour. They are, of course, going up against the Lions next week. Next is probably the upset of the round, uh, the Blues coming out as winners in Johannesburg versus the Lions. They won just by three points in the end, but entertaining game, 38-35. to 35. I think we did say in our lead-up to this game that the Blues would have very little to lose. They'd be trying to chase whatever the Lions put on them. So seeing that, yeah, it was at 28 to 10 with 17 minutes to go and having the Lions run down, um, it shows, shows that they've still got it in them, but will they be able to keep it going week to week on this tour? Difficult question. Mate, I think they will. And this, the Blues have had this potential to beat any team on their day. They just need to have that consistency and have those guys switched on. Um, I think they play, they're playing the Stormers this coming week. It's going to be a tough team. I don't think the Stormers are quite as good as the Lions, and I think it'll do the Blues probably you know, amount of good spending another week in South Africa um, and acclimatising, and they're not going to have to play at altitude. So they should be strong again against the Stormers. Um, but this was impressive. Akira Iwani just absolutely beast-moding people, just throwing them off him, You know, couldn't stop him, his brother in the backs. At 13, I think he was, and plenty plenty of ball for him. Look, the Blues, I think more good things to come from them. If Tan and Umunga can keep them inspired and playing like that, they, they're going to they're gonna do some damage in Super Rugby this year. Mm. I think it was a bit uncharacteristic seeing the Lions had a lot of dropped ball in this game, which you don't normally see from them. Uh, they also suffered a fairly big blow. Um, Warren Whiteley, knee injury out in this game. I believe he's got a... PCL tear, so they think he's going to be out at least four weeks. They have a bye coming up in week nine, so it may be closer to round 10 before you see him back when they're heading over to Australia to verse the Tars. The Lions in this, I definitely again, New Zealand competition is really going to test them. We, I, I kind of said that last week that I thought this would be their first big test, and they've got a tour later on in the, in the schedule, and that's that's going to be tough for them. I think they play two or three games in New Zealand, so they're really going to be tested over that period. And I'm interested to see, to see how they react because they've they've had a lot of good home games so far, um, and and had it quite comfortable. So they're going to have to step it up. Well, luckily they have the Sunwolves coming up next week, so you think that that'd be a game for them to you know get back onto their winning ways. That's right, back to our Australian Super Rugby Team of the Week and a few interesting selections this week. Uh, 
not surprisingly, we don't see many Waratahs in this team. But, uh, Toby, take us through the front row. Mate, I'm, I'm pleased to say that James Slippo is, is back, probably where a lot of people think he should be in, and got that starting number one jersey at loose head. For me, he hit a very strong game up front for the Reds. Shout out to uh, John Lance, his flatmate. Obviously, we'll hear that a bit later. Uh, Slips is, you know, he's got class. He's just struggled with injuries over the past couple of seasons, and, and it's good to see him firing again. Um, at hooker, I've, I've got Jordan Ulisi. I thought he had a very composed game for the Rebels, did, did most things right, uh, was good throwing the line out, strong in the scrums, and, and just generally good around the park. So I mentioned to Brandon Pangamosa, again, very strong for the Reds, but for me it was Jordan Ulisi this week. And then Tongan Thor at a tight head prop. Taniela Tupo, um, what can you say, mate? He's just all power. You know, he needs to finesse a few of his kind of general passes around the park and, and not unnecessarily offloading to, to people, but the guy can do it all. He can tackle, he can run the 100 probably in about 11 seconds. He's, he's just a freak. So great to see that he's having a strong season. And in the second row, we've gone for more of the Reds, really. We mentioned before Kane Douglas having a really strong, you know, getting back to his normal form. And then we've paired him with his second row mate in Isaac Rodder. I was tempted to try and sneak an Arnold brother into here, but I couldn't quite decide which one to put in. So I think Rodder probably just pips him at the line there. I mentioned earlier Ross Howard Petty thought had a, had a big game with the Rebels too with with Adam Coleman out, was busy all game and, and stuck it out for 80 minutes. Probably also a little bit hard done by to miss out on that. But uh, ne- never mind, his teammates have filled out the back row pretty well with Lepetti Tamani really stepping up again this week, as we said, filling a filling a gap in the physicality stakes for his team, which is really important. Uh, and and he's paired with Amanaki Murphy Again, really speed strong, ball. really strong with the speed bulk. And uh, just... <laughs> Just, just ne- never, never shying away from that contact, and always getting across the gain line and copying the odd punch from midgets too. And Liam Wright, who faced up against some uh, some South African brethren in the Bulls and didn't look out of place. Again, another physical game, and he was in at the contest, going for the pilfer, uh, always at the bottom of the ruck. So another another really good effort from a young player. Really looking forward to seeing more of him this season. And then onto the backs, I think Jake Gordon, for me, stood out. I could have easily have, have let Will Genia take the number nine position again. But Jake, I'm going to let him. Flash hey, Gordon. Love that drop. Jeez. Um, so Jake Gordon, good performance from him. I think there's better things to come. Uh, and at 10, again, John Lance, clinical performance. As I said, strong in defence. Um, some great tactical kicking and taking on the line. So, Jono, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, mate. Next in the centres, uh, we start off with Samu Karevi, who'd switched into inside centre for this game, but he was really the centre of a lot of the strong ball carries for the Reds in that back line, had some great runs, and also made some big hits that really put the Reds on the front foot to push the Bulls back in that game. And we've paired him with Tom English, who's making his first appearance in this team and really stood up actually captaining the Rebels in this game, uh, which was another step up in responsibility for him, but really helped to string some of those backline moves together, worked as a distributor and tireless in defence and really shut down the Brumbies as well. Yeah, both those guys really impressive and and equally impressive, the the back three we've picked out. Uh, Marika Korobiti, 
coming off the bench, but with immediate impact, speed, and 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 the the hit off the off the kickoff was um was pretty impressive. Uh, and then we pick we pick his uh, fellow fellow Rebels winger in Jack Maddox, who he might not have gone out and scored a hat trick this week, but he still had a really impressive game. Great support play, uh, good decision making, and and. Just another strong performance for a young player. And still bowing to Will Genier as well. And still bowing to Will Genier, of course. And uh, and Aiden Tower, who makes his first appearance on our list, on our Australian 15 of the round, uh, earned it this week. He, he was, again, huge in support, making better, uh, better decisions in attack, opting to kick, opting to pass, opting to run, and, and just ever-present and heaps of energy, which... For the Reds is, is going to be a really big factor, just keeping that energy up in that back line when they have those tough, grindy games and just, just supporting everyone from behind. Yeah, best game by Aiden Toe in probably a number of years. So that is our Australian team of the week. But there was another Super Rugby competition that kicked off this week in the Super W competition. And we had the Force versus the Rebels and the Reds versus the Waratahs in this inaugural round. And I'll just run you through some of the scores here. The Force absolutely smashed the Rebels, 85-13. to 13. And if you haven't had a look at this game, guys, I think we shared uh, one of the highlights of Courtney Hodder, a 17-year-old that bagged herself six tries in this game. And the amount of pace that she possesses, it was impressive. Definitely, definitely go have a look at it if you haven't already seen the highlights. It's amazing pace like, and, and, and quick turning on a dime too. She's wrong-footed a number of backs in that game and, yeah, very explosive. If she, if she doesn't come, come home with a top try score after that, she might not need to score anymore. And in the other game, the, a much lower scoring affair, the Reds uh, hosted the Waratahs and the Waratahs coming out victors 18-0. to nil. And the Tars just didn't let the Reds into their half of the whole game. Uh, some good hits from some of the Reds players. Alicia Fakis-Lea, who's one of the smaller players on the team, one of the wings for the Reds, still putting on some big hits and showing the other girls how to do it with some pilfers in there. Um, interesting note, she's actually a niece to Mills Muliaina and cousin to Lolo fakis who made his debut for the Brumbies this weekend. And we also had some family members playing for the Waratahs from the Brumbies, um, Scott Seo's sisters, Annalise uh, Seo, who played in this game, and Tina is also in the squad, one of his other sisters, uh, who hopefully will get on the field in, in one of the upcoming rounds as well. But we'll keep our, our eye on the build court Super W, and of course you can rewatch all those games on Fox Sports, so go check them out. And now, well, we talked about it earlier, uh, Toby was actually lucky enough to sit down with John O'Lance this week and have a bit of a chat about his journey through rugby and coming back to the Reds. Uh, well, we're very pleased to welcome a very special guest to the Running Rugby podcast, and this is our first ever guest, in fact. He's a two-time Super Rugby champion, fly half for the Queensland Reds, and an all-round good bloke. John O'Lance, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, good to come on board for the podcast. Mate, appreciate it very much, and um, yeah, looking forward to having a chat. Now, you started, mate. You started your Super Rugby career up there at Ballymore with the Reds, but since you, since then, you've kind of spent some time down at the Tars, also over at the Force. So, what's it like being back in Queensland? Is there, is there kind of a difference coming into the squad as more of a senior guy, um, where you've got to show a bit more leadership and, and give those junior guys some direction? Um, yeah, there's definitely been 
change. Um, for me, getting back to Queensland was always something that was very exciting. I, I never really thought I'd get the opportunity, but here I am, and um, I suppose to get back is, is definitely a massive change. To be working with someone like Paul Carrozza, our backs coach, who was actually my academy NTS coach from the age of 15, okay. um, things like that, um, they're all pretty exciting as to why I wanted to get back here. And in terms of being an old head now, it's uh, <laughs> definitely a massive change. Yeah. Uh, there's still a few guys here from before I left. Uh, I'm living with one of them actually at the moment, James Slipper. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah. Yeah, to, to get back and work with an exciting young group of players is is definitely something that I, I enjoy doing, and especially after after my travels, I've, I've been around, like been to some teams and worked with some quality players in many different positions. So I feel I'm, I'm definitely in a good place to be able to, I suppose, give off some knowledge to those younger guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, with Brad Thorne coming in as as head coach at the the Reds this year, what's it like playing under him? Is he is he a big big one for tactics, or is he a man of few words? Um, tell me a little bit about your experiences with him so far. Yeah, he's great, and um, I suppose that's more to do with the attitude and getting people up and getting people motivated. He's he's pretty passionate about this part of the world and passionate about how he wants to play rugby. And I suppose through that, through his passion, it sort of it really does rub off on all the players and. Yeah. When someone's passionate about it and gets stuck in and is around gym sessions and helping out wherever, it definitely rubs off. Does he? Does yeah, he remind you? It, yeah. Does he remind you a bit of Michael Checker, or is he, does he have kind of aspects of of Checker's kind of leadership in that way as well? Sort of. I, I suppose they're, they're two completely different people. Yeah, um, yeah. But both in, both in the sense of motivation, hmm. they can definitely motivate people very well. Um, yeah. Yeah, with I suppose Thorne as well has his background of playing, so he's played with the best teams in the world, and through that, everyone is very eager to be a part of all his uh, messages and and what he's about. So yeah, for yeah, sure, it's definitely been an exciting six weeks since I've been here. Yeah. Um, so with the Reds, I mean, this year obviously there's there's been a whole lot of changes, some big names go out. Um, and still a young roster, but you guys are, are you still very much focused on kind of getting to the finals and playing playing at that end of the season, or do you have slightly tempered expectations? No, I think every, every team, you ask every player at the moment what their goal is, and it's definitely to be a part of the finals, and yeah. um, I think if you're, not, if you're not thinking about it this time of year, well, um, yeah. what are you doing? We, we had a really good pre-season, everyone really ripped in and trained really hard in the heat of Brisbane. We know it's, it's going to be a challenge for quite a young squad, but yeah, everyone in the in the team, everyone in the squad, everyone in the staff is excited by that challenge because we we know people aren't necessarily back, backing us, but we're here and we've trained well and we're yeah. looking to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, well, I think you you definitely did that against the Brumbies, and and they may not have been completely on their game, but still, that was a pretty solid win. Just in terms of. I, I know you just said you, you live with James now, Slipper. How's the lifestyle up there in Brisbane? Does it kind of rival what you had going with uh, with Bernard Foley and, and Phipsy at the Pentagon back in Sydney? Um, I'm hoping Slipper doesn't listen to this podcast, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's not quite close to the Pentagon. We had a pretty strong group there, and the other two guys, yeah. Michael Hodge, was also at the Waratahs, and we actually had a muggle living with us 
Josh Coops, who just worked in the city, so he, he was referred to as the muggle. Yeah. But yeah, um, my time in Sydney living in the Pentagon was an amazing two years and uh, very close to those guys now, so. Yeah. Um, yeah Slipper's got a lot to live up to. He has. Here we've actually got a, a muggle here as well living with us at the moment, but I suppose it's quite an interesting one because when I moved up it was quite quickly and I told Slipper I was moving in for just a few nights while I got myself sorted. Yeah. And that was five weeks ago, so I think <laughs> he's just going to have to start getting used to me sticking around. He could definitely benefit, I think, from your sense of humour as well, mate. You get creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I definitely think I'm, I've been a positive influence on, on James in my yeah. five weeks. <laughs> definitely. Shifting gears a bit, um, I know obviously the news came out this week that you've signed with Worcester uh, for, for next season um, towards the end of this year. And was that, like, was that really a tough decision to make, given you've come back to the Reds, um, obviously enjoying your time there so far, and also with the Rugby World Cup next year? Um, yeah, it definitely was a tough decision. It's always a, a big decision when you're leaving your home country to move to the other side of the world. But in, in saying that, it's also a very exciting one. Um, I suppose I've, I've played Super Rugby for seven years now. and Yeah. Um, that opportunity to come back to Queensland happened very 11th hour-ish, so mm. I suppose I'm very excited about being back in Queensland and yeah. being a part of this season at the Reds and really giving it my all to, to do best for the team and for the team to go well, but um, I'm also excited about getting over and experiencing a, a different side of the world, a different side of rugby, and I suppose through the three months I had there at the end of the year, mm. I had an amazing time playing over there and just a different environment and bus trips to game and games and all that was just something different that was, yeah, very exciting. So yeah, it was definitely. definitely a hard decision, but I mean, I, a few years ago I gave myself some goals for the next three years and this is that third year I'm in, so it was mm. always sort of a part of the plan. And I think in terms of rugby overseas, I mean, away from Australia, you can see in the, the Premiership, obviously, now it's it's changed a lot. And do you think it's kind of getting towards that level of Super Rugby or they've got a bit of work to do yet? No, it's definitely, I think, at that level of Super Rugby. Um, some of the games I played over there were um, super, like, of the same quality yeah. as Super Rugby. I think purely, all the players over there are very fairly talented, um, have all the skills, but I think it's purely just weather-related, the, mm. the style of, rugby that you're forced to play I think you'd be stupid to try and play yeah um the same brand of rugby that can get played in super rugby here I thought we could chat a little bit maybe about the the western force I know that's pretty dear to your heart and this this world series rugby that's kind of launching in about two months under Andrew Twiggy Forrest kind of yeah rebirth of rugby in WA how what are your thoughts about that yeah I was pretty pumped yesterday when I saw all the news coming out they announced the squad so I on many levels, it was pretty exciting. A lot of guys from the force last year are in that squad, and um, I think it's very exciting watching that press conference about some of the law changes they're looking at doing and all that stuff going forward. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, for those guys who were stuck in a, a bit of a tough situation, for them to have a bit of a, a I suppose, clear goal ahead of them mm. where they're heading towards with the team is, is awesome, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm just pretty pumped for the, yeah, the people over in the West. Mate, well, thanks for the time. Very much appreciate you um, 
you coming on and uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to have you on again at some stage, maybe to talk about some of your experiences once you go over to the UK again or, or something like that. But um, hey, it's, it's been great. No worries, thanks for having me and um, yeah, I'll be listening to the future podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks, mate. Cheers. And thanks again to John and Lance for sitting down with us for that interview. Really appreciate it. Round five. All right, guys, let's have a look forward at the upcoming round. And we'll start with the Chiefs versus the Bulls on Friday afternoon. So things not getting easier for the Bulls on this trip. Toby, what do you think? Chiefs coming off the bye. They're going to be too good for the Bulls. I, yeah, I see the Chiefs putting 20 on them at least. Yeah, I, I definitely think the Chiefs will be the stronger ones here. Uh, the Bulls will put in a, a, a challenge. I, I don't think it'll be 20, but uh, but I definitely think the home team will have it. Yeah, i got to agree. The Chiefs, uh, Bulls might challenge up front, but I don't think they can match the Chiefs' backs out wide. And next we go to the Battle of the South Island, the Highlanders versus the Crusaders. And will the Crusaders be able to bounce back after a bit of a disappointing loss? I think they'll want to, but I think if they've got a couple of these guys out after the concussion issues from last week, with the Highlanders looking as strong as they were in that Friday night game last week, I, I think the Highlanders will have this as well. I'm, I'm sticking with home team here too. Yeah, I really find it hard to think that Crusaders are going to lose two in a row. I understand the Highlanders look really strong, but I think the Crusaders are really good at pulling it together. Even if they're pulling together with scraps of people, I think Crusaders will still get it done in a really tight one. Mate, Highlanders for me, their, their forwards are going to be strong enough, I think, to to kind of step up to the, the challenge the Crusaders put forth and then the Highlanders' backs, I think, will be too explosive for those Crusaders, particularly if Ryan Crotty's out. So I'm going to take the, the Highlanders in this one. And next we have the first Australian team of the round. Uh, the Brumbies finally get a home game and they're taking on the Sharks that are coming over from South Africa after they put that monstrous win on the Sunwolves. And I hate to say it, but I've lost my confidence in the Brumbies. I think... I think they're going to struggle to beat the Sharks. I think the Sharks are going to have too much size. They're going to muscle them up up front. And I think they also have the pace with Mapipi out wide. I think they're going to be able to put some points on it. I don't think the Brumbies will match them. No way. I'm saying the sweet, sweet home cooking down there in Canberra, some warm and hearty meals will get these Brumbies boys going again. I think that's just what they need. They need this time at home to settle in, get back to some basics. And the Sharks travelling... Look, they, they might be coming off the Sunwolves game pretty confident, but it's the Sunwolves. I don't think I'd read too much into all those points. I think this is the Brumbies' big turnaround. It's It's got to be. Yeah, I'm with you, Leo. Brumbies, I think, coming off that Rebels game, they're going to be extremely disappointed. They're going to get thrashed at training this week. And the Sharks having to travel all the way from Durban, I think, uh, will probably play into the Brumbies' hands a little bit. Even though the Sharks are a, a formidable team, I think the Brumbies are going to bounce back, but it's going to be a tight game. Next, we head over into the early Sunday morning games and the Blues continue their South African road trip and heading down to Cape Town versus Stormers. Mate, I think the Blues can keep the wins going because the Stormers have been on a, a tough road trip in Australia and New Zealand and the Blues are just starting to get their confidence and, and string some plays together just throughout the game. So... The big players are firing, and I think it's going to be a cracking game, but I think the Blues are going to get up by at least 10. I can definitely see that happening. But I also, this is this is kind of my contrarian tip for the round. Even though it's the home team in, in the Stormers in South Africa, 
the Blues do look really dominant at the moment, but the Blues again, uh, sorry, the Storm is coming home and and settling back into a, a comfortable venue, somewhere they're very familiar with, very parochial down there in Newlands. The Blues may just have travelled one one stop too far. I think the, the winning might hold up for them this weekend. Yeah, I think the Blues, they're finally realising the potential. I've been saying about the Blues, I've been saying about the Rebels, they're going to hit winning ways, and I think they're going to continue to show their power and show what they can do in this competition. Next, the Lions uh, will look to bounce back against the Sunwolves. Sunwolves are very unlikely to win this game. <laughs> I, I don't know, mate. Tipped them before. <laughs> I have tipped them before. I and I do. I do still have a soft spot for them, but yeah, the injuries and the travel. It's it's definitely going to be too big an ask on this one, and and the Lions will be wanting to come back with a vengeance. This could be a very high-scoring game. Yeah, for one team only, and that'll be the Lions by a thousand points because they're going to be annoyed coming off that game against the Blues. They're going to be fired up even without Warren Whiteley and the Sunwolves. The pain continues. Yeah, and I think you might be talking a bit literally there with the pain. I feel like the Lions are going to be very physical in this game, and I'm really worried the Sunwolves, in terms of their injury woes, I think they're just going to keep continuing. Next, we head over to uh, Buenos Aires and see if the Reds can change uh, Australians' fortunes over there because the Haguaris are hosting the Reds there again on Sunday morning at about 8, 8.30 a.m. I think the Reds, even with the travel, they're going to be riding high off those two wins they've just had. And I think they showed their forwards versus the Bulls can match it with any of these teams. And I think despite the Haguaris' strong pack, the Reds will be able to stand up here and I reckon they can get the win. Mate, I think the Reds are going to show how the Waratahs should have played last weekend, and they're going to they're going to get a win over there in in Argentina. It's going to be a tight game. The Haguaros are going to throw it around. They've got some confidence back, so I think they're going to be a tough opposition for the Reds. But the way the Reds are kind of playing at the moment in the last couple of games, I can see that they're going to scrape through in this one and, and get the win. And they've had a strong defensive performance in the last couple of rounds and that's going to be really critical keeping the Haguares under wraps early and then they can hopefully roll into that attacking form that we saw them pick up in the second half this week against the Bulls. Uh, I'm on the Reds as well. Next is what I think we're all going to agree is a bit of the game of the round. Uh, Sunday afternoon at Allianz Stadium is there anything better? The Waratahs coming home to verse the Rebels that are on some hot form and can the Waratahs stop the Rebels win streak? I don't think so, and I think the, the Tars, if they're honest, would have said that they wanted the bye this week to, to have a week to prepare against the Rebels because to fly back from Argentina, that's a long flight through Santiago, through Chile. I believe they even saw the Reds on kind of crossing over as they went past, and they're going to they're gonna be fatigued by that. It's been a, a long tour, and it's been a tough couple of games for them, and I think the morale in the group probably would be suffering, so... I think the Rebels will keep it going. I, I'm not sure how this game's going to play out exactly in terms of form and, and how structured or how um, expansive the game's going to be, but I think the Rebels will get it done regardless of how the game goes. So this will be the final Australian team the Rebels need to beat to, to have done everyone in for the first cycle of this, of this competition, and I think there'll be a bit of pressure there. I think they'll be thinking, can we come to the Waratahs' house and, and do them here as well? Sunday afternoon rugby uh, for the Waratahs, which is always appreciated by the fans and the players. 
maybe that gives them enough time to get the recovery they need. I'm on the Waratahs in this one. I think, again, I'm, I'm sticking with the theme I've had, you know, my other picks, the, the team coming home, we're going to find some form, and I'm, and I'm having faith in the Waratahs. Mm, I've been touting the Rebels, even though the Waratahs are my team. I'm going to have to back them up to go with what I've been saying. I don't think the Waratahs are going to be able to put it together. I, I foresee a sloppy game, as we've seen for the Waratahs the last couple of weeks, really. And it's whether the Rebels sink to that level or they continue to play expansive how they have. And I think if they manage to hold on to anything that they played against the Brumbies with, any of those sort of skills, that attitude, they're going to be able to pip the Waratahs in this one and definitely squeak out a win. Well, mate, not again. Squeaky wins. (laughs) So... As always, we'll have a quick squeeze at the Northern Hemisphere. Um, Six Nations had another round this week and a few interesting results. Um, Ireland will put Scotland back in their place a little bit, uh, 28-8. to uh, Wales put it on Italy, 38-14. to But the real surprise, I think, for everyone is in Stade de France in Paris. France beat England, giving them their second loss in a row. France coming away winners, 22-16. to Oh, it's not a good time to be Eddie Jones. I had money on this game. I had money on England and Ireland in a multi, and England let me down. They can't do anything right, to be honest. They can't win a game against France that, you know, notoriously has been quite difficult for them. But, mate, Eddie Jones is just absolutely livid. Um, Are they capitulating a year out, a year and a half out from the World Cup? The most disappointing thing, I think, from this is that Although the game next week is going to be massive, I would have liked to see kind of England fight for that that right to have the Six Nations Championship. So Ireland's already got that in the bag. So England are just really playing to, to stop Ireland to get that Grand Slam. England do love being the spoilers. So they'll they'll take heart in that. I'm, I'm looking at the table. I'm surprised at how even the middle, at, middle of this uh, competition has become. Ireland are far and away the most dominant team and we've got four teams filling out the middle yeah well see wales getting up there too they're playing france in i think cardiff this weekend to to perhaps even secure that that second second place um so a lot of people are saying that wales weren't going to be strong this championship and they proved otherwise they've been pretty good um scotland started fast and have, have faded a little bit and france are just that that team that's going to niggle niggle you on their day they can beat anyone but generally inconsistent so it's going to be massive this weekend i kind of i think everyone should should get up and watch this game and and watch eddie jones under pressure um we heard during the week that he was still being linked to this wallabies job post checker uh given michael checkers kind of said that he's going to step away from that role after the world cup next year yeah eddie under pressure we love it that's all from us guys uh, find us and like us on Facebook as always on the Running Rugby Podcast or follow us on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, also up on Twitter now at Running Rugby Pod. And that's got some regular updates, lineups, news, and some video highlights. And as always, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher and Pocket Casts or visit us directly on Podiant. Click that little subscribe button, leave us a review, give us five stars, guys. We want to keep this going. We're having a great time starting this off. Thanks again, and as always, keep on running. Run.
I think that. This whole thing stupid. Huh? I knew this was gonna happen. When it's because I'm not concentrating. It's because I'm looking at other stuff. But it's alright. It doesn't matter. Look, look, yeah. I was looking at Good the game. times. That's alright. Because I can keep saying. But I think the Let's Reds. Look at even, it, on here, man. it doesn't say it's the on times here. on there. It doesn't. Shut up.